Well, welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Glad you're along for the ride. It's November 18, 2020, and the so-called mainstream media still blowing off the mountain of evidence of election voter fraud. The commander and tweeter in chief, by the way, sounding off saying, quote, in Detroit, there are far more votes than people. Nothing can be done to cure that giant scam. I win Michigan. I love how he calls it. Who needs the stinking AP? Then this one, uh, the Georgia recount is a joke and is being done under protest. And then, of course, he transitions to the all caps, a great style choice, FYI. He says this, they wouldn't let Republican poll watchers into the counting rooms. Unconstitutional. So is there a path forward, not just for uh, an election fraud standpoint, but for a constitutional one as well? We're going to explore that. It's something you will not see on CNN. And speaking of CNN, a closer look today at the media and the truth. Who can you truly believe nowadays? Paul Farhi from The Washington Post is going to join us to discuss. But first to our newsmaker, back with us this time in her capacity as White House Press Secretary's Kaylee McEnany. Kaylee, always thanks for being here. Great to see you. Good to join you, David. Kaylee, look, before we get going, uh, we had you on as a campaign advisor last time. I want you to explain to our viewers why the difference this time around, at least from a legal perspective, just so they understand and don't get confused. Yeah, last time I joined you, um, it was in my voluntary role with the campaign. Uh, believe it or not, when you come to government, you don't lose your First Amendment right to political speech. Uh, you just have to separate it. Ethically speaking, the Hatch Act says if you engage in political speech, do it without government resources, um, away and apart from your White House title and resources. And that's exactly what I've done, uh, complied with my ethics, but at the same time, not lost the same First Amendment, which gives the press corps here uh, the right to ask questions. It so too gives me the right to engage in political speech. All right. So sounds good. So let's talk White House uh, stuff, if you will. Uh, I do want to ask about the transition effort, not about the, when I say transition effort by the Biden campaign, uh, they're talking about uh, that they want more cooperation. What's the view at the White House as it relates to cooperation at all in this transition period, at least according to what they, they believe? So the White House has done everything it is statutorily required to do in the event of a transition uh, to prepare for that. Um, it, ultimately, it is the GSA, which is separate from the White House, that determines when a race reaches ascertainment. In other words, when a race um, has been called. So we will leave it to them uh, to do that. But for us, um, we've done our part in providing for the transition requirements that are, are statutorily required. Haley, what do you make of some of the criticism that the Biden folks are saying that uh, the, the, the lack of a transition process, the way they see it, hurts the pandemic response and coronavirus? Well, what's the response from the White House to that? Yeah, that's an absurd proposition. When you look at what President Trump has done um, with COVID is he set up a task force. He set up a operation called Operation Warp Speed, which is bringing us a vaccine in record time, the fastest ever. Uh, he set up a testing system, the most testing in the entirety of the world. Um, he's the stockpile, which was left empty by Obama Biden. He replenished. So we are ready uh, for the fall. So this president has set up a working system to address COVID, um, and that's really just smoke and mirrors that you're hearing from the other side. You know, the vaccine being getting done will be on this president's watch no matter what happens. Uh, I wonder whether the history books will reflect that. I guess that's a question for another day. But what do you make of some of that news coming out after the election? Not to talk about the election, but the fact that the president would be, I would think, concerned that some of that didn't happen before the election. 
Yeah, we certainly hope that wasn't the case, that anyone uh, withheld a vaccine. It is curious um, that the standards changed for what would ordinarily be needed to meet a vaccine, um, and then they were heightened. So, you know, there is that, but we certainly hope that wasn't the case uh, because a vaccine uh, should be should be a, a safe one, an effective one, and pushed through at the fastest pace possible for the American people. And that's exactly what this president has done. Back in on January 13th, he partnered with Moderna, uh, and that's when Democrats were pursuing impeachment. He was already pursuing a safe and effective vaccine, one that has come to fruition and done very well in phase three clinical trial, 94.5% effective in Pfizer as well. And that's thanks to this president tearing down bureaucracy and barriers and paving the way for a safe and effective vaccine. Kaylee, we've seen a lot of governors around uh, the country now calling for some really uh, tighter COVID restrictions, even uh, implementing on these Thanksgiving plans, even Joe Biden. And this is what people were afraid of if Joe Biden was going to become president. This is what Joe Biden said about Thanksgiving. I want you to just quickly take a listen. They strongly urge that if, in fact, uh, we're going to have Thanksgiving with anyone, that we limit it to a maximum maximum, they, they suggest five people, maximum 10 people, socially distanced wearing masks, and people who have quarantined. So, well, Kaylee, I guess you better figure out which family members you like the most. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, you know, when you look at some of the restrictions across the country in Oregon, for instance, where if you bring more than six family members, you could face 30 days of jail time. These are draconian restrictions. The government quite literally coming into your home and telling you the number of family members you can have in your home. Uh, we still have freedom in this country. We have a constitution. The American people, guess what? Believe it or not, are smart and responsible. And I say believe it or not because uh, the liberals and the Democrats treat uh, the American people like their children and need to be told and instructed what to do. And the American people understand, wash your hands, socially distance, wear a mask, but you don't need the government and the nanny state coming in your home and telling you which family members are permitted. Uh, we trust the American people. They've made smart decisions so far and they'll continue to do so. And while we provide guidelines, we certainly don't threaten jail time uh, if you meet with your family on Thanksgiving. Haley, the media is at it again, playing the drama game. Some of the headlines out there saying that the president bunkered in the White House, hunkered down in the White House. Uh, we haven't seen him in a while. Why don't you set the record straight? What is he doing there uh, as uh, this has all been unfolding since Election Day? Oh, he's hard at work. I um, mean, you know, I was talking to the president this morning about all the great news with the vaccine. He's monitoring COVID. Um, he's hard at work. And it's so interesting to hear from the media uh, who doesn't seem to mind when others on the other side of the aisle don't take questions um, and hide away. This president's been the most accessible in history, has been doing anything but hiding. He's been in the Oval Office hard at work, has taken more questions than any president in modern history. But leave it to the media once again uh, to try to tell the American people a different story. But uh, Thanks to uh, the, the ingenuity, the, the smarts of the American people, they see right through the games of the mainstream media. I want to talk about Afghanistan and some of the troop uh, withdrawal uh, that is planning to take place. Can you tell me a little bit more about what is expected to happen in terms of the timeline? I know there's been some criticism by people like Mitt Romney and Ben Sass, kind of the usual cast of characters, if you will. I don't mean to dismiss, dismiss it as cast of characters, but you knew this was coming. A lot of people say now is not the time to withdraw, but it seems like 20 years has been a pretty long time. 
It has been. Uh, this president has always fought against endless wars um, and fighting to bring our, our servicemen and women, our brave heroes, home. He's doing just that. We'll be drawing down to 2,500 troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. We'll be doing it in a way that is safe, but in a way that is necessary. And, you know, we're hopeful that by May uh, we can officially have brought those two wars to a close. Um, and of course, we remember um, today the uh, 6,900 men and women who have lost their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan and the immense and immeasurable sacrifice they have made for our freedoms. I have to ask you about Mark Esper and also uh, Chris Krebs uh, over at DHS. Uh, you know, the media wants to call it the Great Purge. <laughs> uh, what, what do you make of uh, some of those firings? I mean, they were terminated right away. Uh, maybe Chris Chris Krebs, if you can talk a little bit about that, because he calls the election uh, security, you know, uh, just basically a wonderful job. And obviously the president had an issue with that. Yeah, as the president said, he put out a highly inaccurate statement um, by saying this was the most secure election we've ever had. Uh, if it's the most secure election we've ever had and we find three tranches of votes in Georgia that were not counted, amounting to more than 5,000 votes not counted, it uh, doesn't sound that secure to me finding 234 pages of affidavits in Detroit alleging fraud and a lack of observation doesn't seem like the most secure election to me. Finding that in California there was a man uh, who had 8,000 ballots registering them as homeless people and deceased people, um, and they were illegitimate registrations, does not seem that secure to me. If it's the most secure election we've ever had, boy, we better uh, question every election before this moment. Yeah. And by the way, I want to talk about big tech before we, we let you go. Uh, obviously, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Jack Dorsey were on the Hill the other day. Uh, Zuckerberg came out and said he thought it was just a wonderful uh, in election integrity effort on Facebook's part. I want to get your reaction to that, first of all. Yeah, I heard a lot of apologizing yesterday, apologizing for Twitter, censoring the New York Post for two weeks, apologizing for blocking Mark Morgan of Commission and Border Patrol. Um, I got a public apology from Instagram after they shut down my account for simply posting information from a Washington Post article. Uh, they unblocked me and apologized. But apologies these days in big tech seem a lot more like admissions of guilt um, because every time they apologize, they're apologizing to a conservative, a President Trump supporter for some form of illegitimate censorship. By the way, Section 230, do you have a sense that anything will get done under this president's watch or is that an FCC? A lot of people are wondering, can the FCC change the regulations or does the law have to be changed by Congress? Where does the Trump administration kind of factor into all of that? Yeah, I'll leave that to the president, not get ahead of future policy, but um, he has expressed dissatisfaction with Section 230, as have some of our counterparts on the other side of the aisle. Having absolute immunity from any sort of accountability um, and not being able to be held accountable um, when you have these citizens across the country um, suffering these kinds of uh, egregious um, uh, oppression and uh, lack of free speech and having no, um, no s valve to uh, litigate those claims in court is problematic. So the president's expressed dissatisfaction with 230, Section 230, but I won't get ahead of him in terms of uh, what a future policy would look like. Kaylee McEnany, always great to see you. Stay, uh, stay warm out there in that uh, windy White House today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, David. All right. Uh, Kaylee McEnany, uh, always uh, able and willing to come on. Uh, and look, uh, we're asking questions. Uh, hmm, Afghanistan, hmm, big tech. Uh, you know, a few things that people might care about other than all of the drama that the mainstream media loves to concoct on a daily basis. Back next with uh, syndicated columnist Cal Thomas. See you in a moment.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Great to have Kayleigh McEnany on at the top of the show as White House press secretary, not Trump campaign advisor. We'll discuss that more with Paul Farhi later in the show. But first, we want to bring in a good friend, a syndicated columnist around the country, Cal Thomas. Uh, can I call him legendary? I'm going to call him legendary, and that's a good thing. Uh, his new book called America's Expiration Date, The Fall of Empires, Superpowers, and the Future of the United States, uh, available, I believe this is where I say Amazon.com and anywhere books are sold. Uh, Cal, great to have you on the show, sir. Thank you very much, David, and congratulations on your new show. You're, you're everywhere like the virus. <laughs> Thanks. So just to confirm, you just you just compare me to the virus. Uh, I appreciate that so much, Cal. Uh, well, where do I even begin? Uh, why don't we start with uh, what you make of everything going on from an election fraud standpoint? I, I don't know if the, I should put that in air quotes or not. I mean, you've got two polar opposite situations here, the, the Biden campaign and you, uh, and you got Trump who thinks he's going to be still be president. What's your take? Well, this reminds me of, uh, of, of Democrats uh, in reverse. You'll remember the election some years ago in Minnesota with Al Franken versus uh, Norm Coleman, and they kept counting votes and counting votes and finding new votes uh, for Franken. And as soon as he, uh, quote, won, they stopped counting. So in Georgia now, they've discovered uh, uh, 3,000 votes that had not been covered, and then a few more hundred. And I'm wondering uh, how much longer this may take uh, before they find enough uh, votes to uh, overturn that election result in Georgia. Look, everybody believes there was fraud going on, whether it was machines or whatever. The Democrat Party for the last four years have been doing everything they can to undermine and remove President Trump from office. I'm not a conspiratorial type, but it just boggles the mind to think that they would sit back on election day with their arms folded and allowing the process to go forward. I think there's more to come about this, frankly. Yeah. So you think the biggest part of this is that this idea that they stopped counting on election night and then kind of came back in the morning after like a a trip over to Waffle House. I mean, what in the world? Yeah, well, this happens a lot uh, when you're when you're dealing with uh, Democrats and votes. I mean, this is this is all they have. And uh, again, I'm not a conspiratorial yeah. type, and I read a lot of this stuff on the internet. And I want to see the proof. I mean, Sidney Powell, who I highly regard, who's written a tremendous book exposing some of the uh, idiocy and unlawfulness in the Justice Department, I think is an incredibly credible lawyer, and she's made some really fantastic claims. It's time now to produce the evidence. Uh, A lot of people say, well, wait till it gets to the Supreme Court. No, we need to know what the evidence is now for the confidence of uh, of the voters, especially the 73 million who voted for Donald Trump and are being dismissed by the media and the left is somehow uh, illegitimate. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that there. Uh, Cal, your latest column, Who Needs Faith Advisors? Uh, Talk to me a little bit about this, because uh, you talk about what the real role of a faith advisor should be based on the fact that, you know, Biden's going to have potential faith advisors. Obama had faith advisors. Trump had faith advisors. And they were all over the place ideologically. 
Well, I don't know uh, why anybody needs a faith advisor when we have the, uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus of Nazareth, we have the Old and New Testaments and the Holy Spirit. There's plenty of information there. There are good <laughs> preachers who believe, in those, who believe in those books as they were written, like good judges believe in the Constitution as it is written. Uh, so uh, what's the big deal? Uh, you know, every, every politician wants the cover and the approbation of, uh, of faith because they think their, poli their policies are righteous. Uh, the left thinks that uh, their policies comport with uh, Jesus's teaching about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and, and the rest, and, uh, but they think government should do it. Whereas uh, conservatives believe that that's a personal thing and an obligation by uh, believers, uh, not as an end, not as a, a kind of social gospel, but as a means of demonstrating God's love to people. And that's the, uh, that's the division. But uh, I don't need a faith advisor. I, uh, the ones I've got are, are good enough for me. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about your book, because the, the premise of the book, or at least I want you to tell me the premise of the book, but it does uh, talk about this idea. I mean, could, could America crumble? I mean, where, where are we as a society? What, should we, what can we learn from the past? And what might the future portend here in America, Cal? I'm glad you asked the question, David. I look at eight empires, and uh, the book is based on uh, uh, an essay by the late British diplomat Sir John Glubb, who found a pattern to history that the average age of superpowers and uh, great nation states is 250 years. And on July 4th, 2026, the United States will be 250 years old. Now, I'm not walking around with a with a sandwich board and a long beard saying the end is near, but I am saying that uh, we can learn from history. There is a pattern. The common denominators of the fall of these empires and nation states are, are some of the following. Massive national debt. We're 27 trillion and counting, and Biden wants to spend more. And the Republicans aren't doing much, frankly, to reduce the debt either. Uncontrolled immigration without assimilation. The Biden wants to uh, open everything up and uh, grant immediate citizenship to 11 million people who got here and broke our laws. Um, a loss of a shared moral sense. There's no concept of right and wrong anymore, no standard by which to judge these things. And if you claim to have a corner on truth on anything, you're a bigot, a racist, a homophobe, an intolerant and an imposer of morality on others. Well, look where that's gotten us when you uh, look at the opposite. So all of these things, I argue, are now extant in the United States. And if we don't turn it around quickly, as Ronald Reagan used to say, we're only one generation away from losing it all because freedom and liberty are not the natural state of humanity if you look around the world. Yeah. So, Cal, what does that mean for a potential Biden presidency? What does that mean for America? Where, where could this country be going under those type of policies that you just laid out? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is get our kids out of these re-education camps known as public schools and universities. Uh, we don't send our military to enemy camps to be trained. We train them here with our values, our weapons, our, and our ideology. Why would you think that you could send your kids and grandchildren into these schools and they're going to come back other than intellectual and spiritual zombies? So that's the first thing we need to do. And I, I think, you know, I think Barbara Bush uh, had a great line. I've used it often with full attribution. She said, men and women, if you have children, they must come first. Our success as a nation, your success as a family, depends less on what happens in the White House and more on what happens in your house. Mm. And 30 seconds or so, but in terms of the uh, Christians that are out there, people that supported this president, who, who may, look, he, he may not obviously become president or remain president. What's your message to them uh, in terms of God and his throne and, and the future as, to, as we look at the peace of, of everything around us right now? Well, it may sound simplistic, but uh, that greatest church state moment ever when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate 
He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities and uh, opportunities in this world, but I think we need to focus on uh, the kingdom that is not of this world more than anything else and be obedient to what our leader. Yeah, Cal Thomas, a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Really Thank appreciate you, David. it. That was great. Uh, you know, you know, Cal's got an opinion or two. Uh, you could probably tell, and uh, we love that here at the Water Cooler. Back in a moment with more show. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know, I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. You know, earlier in the show, we had Kaylee McEnany on. Uh, she talked about her dual role, if you will, as White House press. Uh, hello, White House press secretary and Trump campaign advisor. Uh, she's gotten some heat for it, blurring the lines, if you will. I want to bring in Paul Farhi, uh, Washington Post media critic. Uh, Paul, always great to see you. You're back on the show, so I guess we did something right last time. Thanks for having me again, David. Uh, what did you make of what Kaylee had to say at the top uh, as it relates to this dual role that she's in? It's very interesting because we had her on a couple days ago. She was campaign advisor, and then now she's White House press secretary again. Yeah, well, I'd say two things. One, it's unprecedented. We've never had a press secretary, White House press secretary who's played this overt role as a campaign advisor. And it's possibly illegal. Uh, there's something called the Hatch Act, which is rarely enforced but nevertheless might apply in her case. Um, you can't be on the government payroll and overtly be campaigning. Uh, you can do it on your own time, uh, but Kaylee seems to be spending all of her time doing it. So it's really questionable uh, as to what she did. I mean, it's over now, but what she did and continues to do now as well. Yeah. And, you know, obviously enforcing the Hatch Act is a whole nother ball of wax, if you will. Um, right. I, I want to bring up uh, your, your latest article, one of your latest articles. It's about election night. Uh, and let, let's bring that up if we can. It says, is election night broken? TV news stuck to old routines amid voting upheaval and confusion followed. Why don't you lay out, uh, if not the case, what, what the article uh, basically suggests? Well, the basis of the story is the unusual nature of this election, obviously uh, conducted amid a pandemic but also the gigantic number of mail-in ballots and the in-person ballots. And as you know, the uh, mail-in ballots were favored by uh, Democrats. The Republicans uh, preferred the in-person voting, traditional in-person voting. And this created a kind of lag and delay in the reporting of it in real time on television on election night. So the early returns in some states were from mail-in ballots. The early returns in other states uh, were from in-person ballots. And this created a real mismatch. Trump was ahead in some races and he was behind in other races. And then he 
be, came out ahead in the races he was behind and vice versa. A very confusing kind of scenario. And if you weren't keeping up with it, or even if you were, it was hard to know which ballots were being counted and reported uh, while in real time. Listen, I mean, I get it. Election night is a night in which there's a lot of information coming in, and it's in some ways hard to do in terms of the reporting in real time. But in this case, we had this very unusual uh, kind of uh, uh, counting and tabulating process, and uh, it created a, a rather confusing um, and confused kind of reporting on television. Well, I mean, Paul Mellon balloting is going to be around now for probably a good, good long time, obviously, uh, even from a massive standpoint. So they're, this is a disservice to the viewers, really. I mean, they're going to have to figure, the network's going to have to figure this out at some point. Well, there's something underlying it too, David, which is that in three states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, the legislatures uh, mandated that uh, the counting could not begin uh, of the mail-in ballots until election day which created enormous bureaucratic problems. That's why it took a long time for uh, everybody to declare a winner in Pennsylvania, because they were still counting this mountain of ballots, uh, mail-in ballots that had come in, that they couldn't even open. You know, there's two envelopes that you have to open to process. So I, I think in some ways, maybe changing the laws to give states uh, more time to handle the, as you say, the large amount of mail-in ballots that are now going to be a permanent part of the election would be a good idea. L look what happened in Florida. Florida had lots of mail-in ballots, but the state uh, allowed them to start counting three weeks in advance. Right. So you get a ballot, you start counting it, and uh, by election day, you're caught up. I want to ask you a little bit about social media. Obviously, uh, they're always in the news, but with Zuckerberg and Dorsey testifying this week, uh, uh, President Obama also talked to 60 Minutes about social media and uh, getting after the truth, if you will. I want to read you uh, something that President Obama said. This was in the 60, or it was in the Atlantic, and this is what uh, he said. If we do not have the capacity to distinguish what's true from what's false, then by definition, the marketplace of ideas doesn't work. And by definition, our democracy doesn't work. We are entering into an epistemological crisis. I guess what I want to know here is whose truth are we talking about? I think that's, that's the issue that I think conservatives have. You know, this idea of being the bastions of truth, you know, I think Twitter and Facebook see themselves as like this righteous, you know, uh, private entity, if you will, to make sure that... Pizzagate is not, you know, out there as a conspiracy theory, but it seems to have gone beyond that to the point where you can't even post something very conservative that might not be a conspiracy. And whose truth is is really reigning supreme here, Paul? Well, yeah, you you get into the dilemma that the tech platforms have, which is to determine truth and what's false. Um, let's face it, there is fake news in the world, and much of it flows through Twitter through Facebook and through social media platforms. Say what you will about the mainstream media, but they are mostly right. And if they're not, they're called out on it. Social media has no controls uh, on it. And so all of the pollution of the information environment is flowing through there. And I'm not gonna name names or uh, say it's one side or the other. There's just a lot of wrong and misinformed stuff being passed around by otherwise earnest people. But nevertheless, this has created a, a completely different, two different realities. There's the mainstream media reality trying to report the facts, trying, 
And then social media, which doesn't try at all because it's a free-for-all. So uh, I yeah. kind of feel tech platforms, uh, what are they supposed to do? How can they possibly oh. rein in uh, th this, uh, this flow of sewage that goes through them? We have less than a minute left, but you said the, the mainstream media is mostly right. But I mean, a lot of folks would see it the exact opposite, actually. You, you realize that. I mean, they would say that they're cherry picking stories, story ideas, the headlines are false. There's a lot of things that, that kind of feed a narrative. I would defend the mainstream media vastly more than any alternative that you might uh, present uh, or certainly anything that's flowing over social media. So, yeah, we're not right all the time, but we're mostly right. And again, when we're not, we're called on it because it's there and we have a responsibility to be right. Uh, yeah. Some guy's basement has no responsibility whatsoever. Well, I definitely agree with you on the basement strategy, if you will. How about to be continued, dot, dot, dot. I'd love to talk to you next week about this. Thanks, Paul. Like, thank you. All right, Paul Farhi from the Washington Post. Always a great discussion. Uh, when we come back, constitutional crisis ahead. Is it iceberg right ahead when it comes to the Trump campaign? Uh, we're going to talk about how Donald Trump might be able to still become president. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, uh, we're back and they're back, as in those COVID restrictions. It's Thanksgiving time, so you better choose who you like most in your family because I guess in California and Oregon and I can just go on and on. Uh, Illinois and Chicago, you know, they, they want to limit Thanksgiving. They want to get rid of Thanksgiving. You know, I think Joe Biden said, what was the other day, five to 10 people max. So, you know, if you got a 15 person extended family, sorry, you better just kind of go with the top five that you like. I mean, I guess that's the way it works. I have no idea. Why don't we bring in Rick Green, America's Constitution coach, uh, who has been teaching folks about the Constitution for a very long time. Rick, great to see you, sir. You too, man. Of course, you know that Thanksgiving clause is right under the COVID clause in Article 47 of the Constitution made up by Gavin Newsom, but supposedly we're all supposed to follow it. That's right. I, I did read that the other night. Uh, I believe it's Gavin Newsom. Is it not Gavin Newsom's Constitution? Like he has his own <laughs> private book, I believe. If not, I'm not and unfortunately, these other governors and mayors are just following suit with him, you know, including some Republicans. It's it's nuts. So the question, Rick, is what, what do you do? You're a regular citizen. Look, you're just going to IHOP on a Thursday afternoon and you want to have some pancakes and, that, and the Constitution's going crazy and Gavin Newsom's doing this and the Oregon governor's doing that. Well, what is a regular person supposed to do when they see all these COVID restrictions around them? 
You know, I'm an advocate for civil disobedience where it makes sense. You know, if it, you got to, we got to weigh the cost, right? If you open your business against a, a state order, you could be shut down or lose a license possibly. I, I am so thankful for those gym owners in New Jersey, the barbers in Michigan and Shelly Luther in, in Dallas, Texas, because they were willing to stand up. It helped to, to rally patriots across the nation. Clearly, our elected officials haven't gotten the message. They still think that there's a COVID exception in the Constitution. They continue to do these crackdowns that make no sense. They, they they don't have any historical precedent. They don't have any scientific backing. Uh, it's literally just what they've sat around in a room and thought this might solve the problem. And uh, people can, you know, most people continue to go along with it. I'm glad to see other patriots when they stand up to it and say, no, I'm just not going to do it. So, Rick, the question really becomes, I think a lot of people want to know, where does this end? How does this end? When does it end? I mean, wh what, what happens at this point? Because here we go. We're in a cycle here and you never know when we're going to get out of this. Yeah, well, since they're basing it all on cases, which is not the real problem, you should be looking at hospitalization and, and death count, of course, and, and I know you've talked about that, but as long as they have the focus on the wrong issue and the wrong data, I don't think they'll ever back off, which means we have to be the ones to say, no, enough people have to say, absolutely not going to do it, definitely not going to tell me who I can have over for Thanksgiving. Like you were saying, I've been thinking about that. I got four kids, so you know, with, with their families, do I have to decide which three I like the most? I mean, it's just it's just absolutely insane. And people, I, I mean, I, I'm serious when I say you've got to say no. Go ahead and open the business. How many businesses can they shut down? I realize in Nevada, I mean, they find millions and millions of dollars uh, to businesses. There's a recall petition now uh, for Governor Sisolak in Nevada. Uh, that's happening in other states as well. So those kind of movements, I hope, will get us there. I thought the courts would step in much sooner than this. I really did. I thought I thought we would see more injunctions back in you know May and June. And unfortunately, they kicked the can down the road. I do hope it comes back before the Supreme Court now uh, that you've got hopefully enough time for them to see the data play out. There hasn't been anyone go without a hospital bed. Nobody's gone without a ventilator. Flattening the curve is, is no longer even necessary at this point. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I just yeah. hope people will recognize that they've got a role in this. You don't have to just sit at home and, and, and you know, cower down. Let me make a constitutional transition over to the presidential election and what's going on. You know, obviously, everybody's talking about this is going to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I'm sure it will. Uh, but but there's something else here. And we're talking about we've heard this words contingent election. We've heard about this idea that state legislatures could get involved in the process. We had Steve Bannon on uh, the other day where we talked to him about this contingent election. Here's what he had to say. Have a listen. The key is the safe harbor is on December 8th. These elect slates of electors have to be certified, selected, and kind of named to go to the state capitals on the 14th. If you get past the 8th and it's not done, what happens? It's called you don't no one really has certification to get to 270 electoral votes. It, there's a process, and that's why I tell people, hey, don't panic. What happens? It goes to what's called a contingent election in the House of Representatives in January. What do you make of uh, what we're hearing about uh, as it relates to the state legislature's role in all of this? Yeah, I've been saying the same thing. Don't panic. This is There's a process here. We This is not new territory. We've actually been here several times in the 1800s. Uh, we came really close to being here in 2000, actually. In fact, Florida was that close to having a legislative meeting to pick the electors uh, if it came to that. And, and they managed to get to the Supreme Court twice, state Supreme Court twice, and then U.S. Supreme Court twice, and finally resolved the matter. In 1876, you had multiple slates of electors sent to Washington, D.C., so they had to deal with that. Three states sent two different sets of, of electors. Can you imagine that if 
if Congress gets two sets right now and a state one, you know, secretary of state says Biden won and the legislature says Trump won, they'll have to deal with that sort of thing. But there are solutions here. The legislature has the power. I think that's so important for us to recognize, not only in this, but in so many other things. The founders wanted to empower the state legislatures because they were closest to us, the people, and they wanted the state to have that power. So Article 1, Section 4 gives them the authority to set the time, place, and manner of the elections. That was violated by these governors and secretaries of state that created their own schemes for how the voting would take place, completely unconstitutional and against state law. And then in Article 2, Section 1, we know that the electors or the legislators have the ability to choose the electors. They used to do that in most states. They, they, they got straight from the state legislature to the electors, and they can take that power back anytime they want. The Supreme Court has even said that, that uh, in both in the Bush v. Court v. Gore case and in the McPherson case, sorry, uh, the Supreme Court has even said that that's a plenary power that the legislature can take back, quote, at any time. So right now they may have to do that if they don't have faith that their election in their state actually was done legally and that they can separate illegal votes from legal votes. And even if they can separate them, David, what do we say to all the people that thought they were voting under a legal process but it was a scheme outside the Constitution and the state law. We've disenfranchised them. So I think the legislators have a duty to step in here, either redo the election in their state, not unheard of. We did that in North Carolina last year with a congressional race, or have the electors chosen by the legislature. 30 seconds or so is what we have left, Rick. But I've got to say, that would be a bold move. Constitutional, they can do it. No one's saying they can't. But how do you say you have have a little chutzpah? Uh, to do something like that. You would have to. And let's remember, the most important thing here is not whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden wins. The most important thing is upholding the Constitution and the rule of law and people having faith in the elections. We need transparency for that, which didn't happen in a lot of these states. We absolutely need a verification process, which is what is happening right now. And then we need legal remedies when those laws are violated. And that's the part that you're right. It would be a big deal, but it's needed for our future elections as much as this one. Rick Green, great to have you on. America's Constitution Coach, you're fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dave. Have a good one, man. All right. Uh, Rick Green, a walking constitution. You don't see that often, A literally a walking constitution. Matter of fact, if I saw a walking constitution walking down Constitution Avenue, thank you, I would say that's impressive, is what I would say. So Rick Green, we need to find him. Next time we need to interview Dan, next time we interview him, we will interview him actually on Constitution Avenue. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, Time for the last uh, sip. Hey, you know, it's a nice, cool, uh, crisp day uh, out there. A nice fall day, you can see. But but guess what? The dark winter is coming. Do you see it behind me? Why am I talking like this exactly? I think this is my Alfred Hitchcock, which doesn't sound at all like Alfred Hitchcock. It's a dark winter, as Joe Biden says. It is coming. The coronavirus, the lockdowns, no Thanksgiving, no gobble gobble, none of that. But the media says the sun will come out tomorrow as Joe Biden becomes president of the United States and all is well in the world because our buddy Joe Biden, I don't know why I had a Southern accent there. 
Our buddy Joe Biden is president of the United States, and it is a very, very beautiful day. And you know what? Look at the ratings for Morning Joe. Here's an example. Morning Joe now beating Fox News, actually Fox and Friends, in total viewers the first time since 2001. How about that? That's because the media is talking about Joe Biden as president-elect. The liberals are excited. It's a new day is dawning for all the liberals. They're all excited. But what about Joe Biden and the dark winter that could be ahead? Because if you remember, and here we go, we're going to continue the dark winter theme behind me because it's very important you understand that Joe Biden is very concerned about the storm that is brewing. Donald Trump is part of the dark winter. There is no doubt about it. He believes, without a shadow of a doubt, that Donald Trump is responsible for global warming, for the issues in this country, for the weird screen you see behind me. But if Joe Biden becomes president, then everything is just, and I'm going to say the words, and you don't hear these words often on afternoon television, hunky-dory. That's right, hunky-dory, because Joe Biden will be president of the United States, Morning Joe will be back in business, Fox News will be extinct. Who knows exactly what's going to happen? All I can tell you is that I don't know about the dark winter, because guess what? Donald Trump still has a few things to say about that dark winter. Could it be a dark winter specifically for Joe Biden if January becomes a problem from a constitutional perspective? Back in a moment. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, election fraud. Look, we're going to cover it every single day because it's a trickle, trickle, trickle situation. And we've got another trickle. <laughs> Sophie Mann uh, from JustTheNews.com here with the, the trickle report. The trickle report. Yes. Wayne County uh, checking in on the trickle <laughs> report today. Wayne County. You're right. So, I mean, it feels like this whole election cycle has been a series of going to sleep, thinking one thing, waking up the next morning, and that whole position has been entirely reversed. That's which is exactly right. Exactly what happened last night, uh, two weeks out from the election. Um, what happened is that in Wayne County, which is the county of Michigan that encompasses Detroit, uh, election officials, two Democrats and two Republicans, had yet to vote um, unanimously to certify the election results, which, you know, the election results need to be certified before we can start officially calling Joe Biden president-elect and right. moving with the transition teams and all of that stuff. Um, so last night, the, Republican, uh, the Republicans were still holding out. There were two of them. They were saying, we still think that there was some weird stuff happening with these ballots. You know, we've heard from uh, many people talking about these signed affidavits that they were told to backdate ballots, that like just counting was coming in, in later and later in the day. Truckloads of ballots were coming in. Just some things that are worth looking into before right. results were officially certified, right? But right, um, and I'm going to pause here. That's where I went to bed. That's where you went to bed. Okay, and now pick up the rest of the story when I okay. wake up in the morning. So, between those hours, yes. there was a town style, a town hall style comment review where people came out in large numbers, vociferously against these Republicans, um, claiming that what hmm. they were doing by not certifying the election results was racist, mm -hmm. um, was that it was disenfranchising to black voters in the Detroit urban area. Um, Rep. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib got in on that action, was calling the Republicans racist, which is perhaps not an entirely new refrain for her, but one that seemed to, to work somewhat powerfully in this case because 
the Republicans did end up agreeing to what they're calling a compromise. It's unclear if it really is. They're going to certify the election results, but pending a full audit review of exactly what happened in, in the places where they think some suspicious things went on. So um, it seems like, you know, President Trump's legal case in this particular county is is waning, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, nice. But, uh, but, you know, at very least, we're moving forward. They're moving forward in a way that should hopefully yield some answers as to what happened at the end of the day. Yeah, I know the Trump administration or Trump campaign really thought they had something there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it was kind of like Lucy and Charlie Brown on the football and yeah. all that stuff. Anyhow. All right, Sophie, a uh, man. Man. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right, great. Uh, tomorrow on the show, I don't know. I always say I don't know. Because I, honestly, I don't know, but I kind of do know. Alan Dershowitz and Matt Schlapp and maybe my mother. We'll see you tomorrow.